0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. I'm Henry Jukes, the experimentation architect at Split Software. And today I'm joined by my co-host, Jeffrey Gurman. How are you today, Jeff? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Awesome. I'm really excited this week to introduce our guest, Ivan Kurnich. Ivan is the Director of Engineering at Cros and curates the 0800 DevOps newsletter, as well as being a contributing author to O'Reilly's 97 Things Every Cloud Engineer Should Know.
1: Ivan, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me, Henry and Jeffrey. It's a really pleasure to be here.
0: I'm really excited to have you. Software
2: is at the core of innovation for nearly every company in the world. While software drives innovation, almost all software delivery is powered by DevOps. Release fast, secure your software packages, and distribute all the way to the edge with the JFrog platform. It's universal hybrid DevOps for your universal hybrid digital world. Use the JFrog platform for free on all major clouds at jfrog.co slash adventures. That's jfrog.co
0: slash adventures. If you take the Docker challenge, you'll get a free t-shirt. So, so Ivan will, is joining us this week to talk with us about building successful platform teams. I, I was saying before the show, I'm really excited to dig into this with you, Ivan, because Jeff and I, uh, even last week, we we're, were discussing kind of the position and goals of the platform team and how that lives within the organization. So so I guess to kick things off, I'd love to kind of hear your perspective on, on what exactly is the role of a platform team.
1: Yeah, well, the platform team is something that we needed even before we knew at Cross that, that something like that even exists. So a, as the speed of innovation is larger than ever and the technology is more complex than ever, it's basically impossible for a single person to have everything in its own head. So we need somehow to employ teams. We need somehow to form different teams with, with various specializations. So the book called Team Topology is something that for me personally did a lot it opened my eyes into a, a different way. I would say a better way to to structure and form teams in the organization. And and one of the concepts that this book suggests is a concept of a platform team, something that both Matthew and Manuel describe nicely in the book. And the idea is, since we have feature teams, or how do they how they call them, stream-aligned teams that basically deliver value to the end customers let's not overburden them with with additional cognitive load regarding the platform because this platform as we said is becoming more and more complex every day so let's 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 build this platform and let's provide it as a service to these to these teams so they can focus on delivering value something that they do best in the organization and let's leave the platform something that that's somebody else does. And this other team is basically a platform team that treats the platform as a product that delivers service to the feature teams. And uh, by doing this, we are kind of splitting the cognitive load between feature teams that are basically only using the platform and platform team that is delivering the platform and, and building it as a, and evolving it as a product and from our experience doing something like that in a company really really does a lot to, to the efficiency of the teams because once you you don't need to focus so much on the platform but you just use it as something that is given and something that works it, it makes it much easier for you to focus on your everyday job which is delivering value to the end users
3: so just a. To- you know, maybe clarify and, and really sort of settle this this down. What is a platform? Is is a platform like, you know, we're developing on Kubernetes, is that the platform? Is the platform even a layer above that, you know, what type of, I don't know, you know, web server or what type of, you know, what's the application framework that we're using or what, you know, how do we define that?
1: that that's a good question and, uh, and there isn't a single Definition of what a, what a specific platform is. So I guess in a way it depends on the organization. So what you said first, a platform being cloud Kubernetes oriented, something based system is something that th- this definition is something that works well, for example, at cross. So this is, this is the type of, of delineation that we have in the organization and it works well for us in this way. We have platform team that deals with with the Kubernetes layer, but also some of the services and features above Kubernetes level that are necessary for the teams to to work properly. Like for example, monitoring tools, observability tools, some security features. Let's not forget also self-service features because what you want is the least possible friction between, between feature teams and platform teams. So if feature teams need some kind of resource it would be best if they could get get it through some kind of self service platform and we could argue if something like a self service portal is a, is a part of kubernetes layer or not i'd like to think it's not it's something that is additional additional value to the whole platform but it is still part of the platform and in in this sense platform is something that is bigger than just a runtime engine but also encompasses something that provides user interface for the for the feature teams and some kind of also APIs.
3: So, and I don't want to, you know, sort of, you know, overdo this, but I just want to, I'm just curious, like, would you think or would it be reasonable to say that for your organization, the platform is maybe the thing that sort of transcends multiple projects. So in other words, if I've got multiple projects or, or, or products or, you know, whatever it is that we build and develop and whatever, if we're, if the one constant between them all is that we're building them on, I don't know, a cloud platform, or we're building them on a specific, you know, framework, does that become the platform sort of by nature, just because, Hey, if it's something that transcends your one project and we want to standardize it across, at least to some degree, across multiple products. then we're going to call that a platform, and we're going to assign a team, you know, to manage that platform to, as you said, to remove that cognitive load from, you know from, let's say, individual product teams and let them just sort of leverage the expertise of the platform team and let them develop it and build it, manage it, and sort of hand over the keys. To that, to individual product teams, does that yeah.
1: fit? Am I am I in the right track
3: there?
1: Yeah, yeah, pre- precisely. I think this this metaphor works even better in uh, in a product oriented companies where they are actually building one product, and then the platform. In my opinion, for them, is not only the runtime middleware, but also a layer above that. So specific frameworks, libraries that they use. This is all in in my vision of platform something that is part of the platform things do get a little bit more complicated like for in our example because we are not a product oriented company we are a professional services company and we basically do not have our own product but we do help our customers build the best product they can build and this also means that not all every project is built on on a single techno- tech, technology stack so We work with different customers. Uh, Different customers have different technology stacks. They have different needs. They need to use technology that suits them best. And there, in this case, things can get a little bit trickier because what you're aiming at is the greatest common denominator. So how to form a platform that will help each of these teams, but also not to go too deep because you want to leave some flexibility because each and every team that is working maybe on a project for a specific customer will need to have some kind of room for customizations because each customer is using some other frameworks. And and in this case, things do get a little tricky, you know, because you need to somehow assess where the, the platform ends and the project or a specific product begins. And, and this is a line that we are still trying to pinpoint exactly even in our organization because you're always balancing you would want to you know put as much as you can in a platform just as you said to standardize it to have it fixed to have it reusable and and sometimes you you overdo it and you you step in you step across the line and you start to standardize something that shouldn't be standardized because you need to have that that room for for flexibility forever. yeah
3: I- And I'd also think that if you overstep it too far, you take away some of the, you you want each product team to really be autonomous, right? To be able to really manage, you know, especially in, in in a DevOps world where they can really sort of manage their build themselves. And if the platform is taken too far, then they're always going to be reliant on the platform team. And that seems like that would be problematic too.
1: Yeah, yeah. They would be too reliant and i think that in that case we could put some additional constraints on the type of solutions that they could produce if their hands were loose and they could choose their their own technology and and this is precisely you said it right this thin line and to strike that balance between how much flexibility do you want them to have and as opposed to how much standardization do you want to have in the organization Because, of course, standardization is good. It helps a lot with onboarding new people. It helps a lot with uh, debugging stuff. It helps a lot with knowledge sharing. And, And you want to have it, but it is possible to overdo it definitely.
0: So, you know, my experience with platform and product organization is this thought process of, you know, so for example, microservices. So, you know, we started off as a Java shop, and we were going through that process of breaking down that initial monolith into more microservices. And you're in a position where every time you're building out a new service, you're kind of repeating the same boilerplate each and every time. And so it made sense for us to say, Okay, this will become like, let's let's have a boilerplate project that we can clone and then adjust as necessary. And that standardization brought forth by the, the platform team that was owning it was able to simplify and streamline that process. But in much the way that you've both been discussing, then when a new project comes along and, oh, this actually makes far more sense to write this in Go or C because we need the performance characteristics or, hey, we've got you know, a a team of people that are actually far more comfortable in a particular programming language, like, do you restrict them down to say, oh no, like we've got the Java boilerplate, you need to use that. Or do you say, there's no reason why this service can't be operating in some other fashion, feel free to, to use it. Now, as a professional services organization, I can imagine that that's kind of taken to an extreme where every company you're working from has their own requirements their own needs so how do you think about where that line is drawn like is the platform team working on a lot of like multiple different best practice platforms or has it been whittled down to just like the most simplified version that could be you know the, the lowest common denominator
1: yeah we definitely we are starting with the lowest common denominator and it is something that is a sure thing, right? So it is so thin of a layer that definitely everybody can use it. And and our, our approach so far has been to to slowly, slowly try to thicken this layer. So if we can put additional incremental thin layer on top of it that everybody can use, then let's do it. But let's let's not mandate the use of it because, of course, there will probably be some teams that are working on a specific technology stack that cannot use this specific technology. And it's I think it's it's the only reasonable approach because going big bang and and standardizing everything in our case I don't think that would be even possible due to all the differences that we do have in in a particular projects in a technology stacks and. Starting slowly, moving uh, bottom-up, delivering at first only the the runtime layer, and then slowly moving forward. There is also a very interesting concept also in the the Team Topologies book that is called enabling teams. And basically, the idea of enabling teams is to be a kind of R&D teams. So teams that spin off to the side, play around with the technology, framework, concept, whatever, and once they figure out how wh- where is the value in this this technology, then they get back and deliver this value to the other value stream-aligned teams or or value teams. And this is something that also proved very useful for us because once you have several teams working on several technology stacks, it makes sense to have an independent team working on an R and D stuff. And once they figure out how this technology brings value, then they can share it with the rest of the teams. And in these discussions, we always discuss if this is something that is of a use to all teams, how can we make it part of a platform? And if we can make it part of the platform, then we do try to make it all part of the platform. Otherwise, if it is something that is of a use only maybe to half of the teams or even less, then it's definitely not something that is candidate for, for a future platform increment, if you look at it like that. And uh, the, these enabling teams together with a platform team it proved for us as a nice concept for incremental incremental evolution of, of the platform. So we have a platform team that is building and maintaining the platform, and we also have enabling teams that are helping teams in figuring out which, which new technologies can help them. And if they can, then let's talk to the platform team and see what we can do to build these features
0: in the platform itself. So would you say that the internal teams then are the ones kind of prioritizing the projects and the work, or is it something that's driven more from the bottom up? the platform teams saying, oh, here are the opportunities that we're going to pursue in terms of future development?
1: We have it actually, both ways and since since platform team is is comprised of people that are living with the platform every day and they know it by heart and they know the the strengths and weaknesses they also know and they also recognize spaces for improvement so something that's that is trendy and can help feature teams and uh, a lot of times platform team is the one that is suggesting new stuff to the feature teams and suggesting and just to see if it is something that can bring value to them. So in a way they are throwing something to the wall and see if it will stick. You know, it will will it bring value to the to the teams. But this reverse direction is I would say even more important because platform team is building a platform and this platform is there solely for the purpose of helping the feature teams. And in a way Platform team recognizes feature teams as their customers. And in a truly product management fashion, they are the ones who need to take care of the platform and talk with feature teams to understand their needs, their struggles, their challenges, and to see how they can help them with it. So how in which way they should further evolve the platform in order to bring the maximum value to the feature teams. It is something that, for example, took us a little bit to figure out. So it's not something that, in our case, came naturally. In our our experience, is that we pushed this platform concept more from the bottom up, and the result of that was that platform at some point became there was a, it was in danger of being disconnected from the from the feature teams because people in, in the platform teams brought about some ideas that were not in line with 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 the needs of the of the feature teams and what we missed here and it's a good lesson learned for for people is to start really treating the platform as a product and the only way to treat something as a product is to recognize who are your personas for who are you building this platform to understand the customer journey of these people when they are using your platform it basically doesn't differ that much from a typical product management work. So all the actions, all the activities that you would do if you were to deliver, to design and build a product like a web application or something. So it it, it comes naturally when you do for a web app, but it doesn't come naturally when you build a platform. And it is something that you need to consciously do. And, And once we made that switch, that mental switch, of, of treating platform as, as a product, I would say that the, the needle moved in the right direction. So we were listening to our users, the, the feature teams, listening to their struggles, listening to their challenges and and started to evolve the platform in, in a direction that, that brings more value to the users, to, to, the, to the feature teams. And this this notion of treating platform as a product, I would
0: say is the thing that, that made the the biggest bang for us. So with platform as a product, you know, your your feature teams are your customers, you kind of have that life cycle of internal ideas and external requirements. It sounds like you're operating the platform team similarly to you know, your your product teams. Does that mean that they're similar to, to those feature teams in terms of how you organize and, and how you run? What would you think from a, a development lifecycle is is the same or, or different between um, the platform team and, and the rest of the development teams in the organization?
1: I would say that it's conceptually is it is the same. So the process is the same. And in both in both cases, we strive to have a cross-functional team that can handle all the tasks in uh, without any handoffs to, to to the other teams. In case of feature teams, the skills needed for for these for delivering value are maybe a bit different. So we do have product people, we do have business analysts, we do have people with uh, advanced business knowledge of the, of the product they are building. In case of a platform team, we don't have it in that form. So we do have people that have the vision of the, of the platform, but I couldn't say that these people are proficient business analysts or something like that. So the roles are maybe a bit different, but if we look at the team, it is still a cross-functional team. It is still a, a group of people that have all the skills and knowledge to deliver their product. They do work incrementally. They talk a lot with their customers. They have a short feedback loop. They, they always are in contact with their users. And in those terms, the concept is, I would say, pretty much the, the same with as with feature teams.
0: One of the things we've talked about on the show before is this idea that it's tempting within operational or kind of these internal teams that, that are feeding to developers to almost treat them like a grab bag where it's like, okay, well, this team's going to need to be responsible for Operational things and development of tooling, and to you know own security, and then kind of you know you're you're looking for these unicorn engineers that are able to do everything. When it comes to hiring for the platform team, or or maybe when it comes to organizing within that part of the the, the platform part of the organization, how have you approached that nature of specialization where there's so many kind of technical skill sets that are going to be needed to, to serve those purposes
1: yeah that's a, that's a good question especially in these times when wherever we open any social network there are job ads like devops engineers and and so on and we always try to to approach it from a from a different angle we we don't really believe in a term DevOps engineer. We can talk about system administrators. We can talk about, I don't know, experts for automation for different tools. We can talk about 10x engineers, developers, but DevOps is, is something that is overarching and a holistic approach to the to the software delivery process and philosophy, a culture, however we call it. And in these terms, we we are definitely not looking for, we are looking for a group of people that have together all the skills that are necessary to build a platform from our experience and, and i would say it's uh, it's actually probably similar across other organizations also is that you cannot achieve this having only developers in a platform team so you you need to have system administrators you need to have people that are proficient with uh, with the network with the security Linux boxes, clouds, uh, Kubernetes. And uh, we do choose people for the platform team to to have these skills all together. Not to say that we don't have any developers. We also do have development skills in a a platform team. And uh, put together all development operational skills, security skills, also networking, gives us the ability to have a cross functional team that that delivers the platform and involves evolves it for the for the feature teams all, lo- looking at our platform team all these people are actually have been with us for a long time and uh, and these are the people that know all the nuances of, of our delivery process know all the the particularities of the systems that we use, and it is definitely something that that helps us a lot in these in these situations. So, in cases where there are, there are some issues that need to be troubleshooted or to build something for for a specific team, this experience, both with the technology, but also with of working many years with these people, helps us also to deliver this more efficiently, and and it comes also. Pretty much to the to the relationships between the platform team and the and the feature team. So although the, the, those two types of teams are independent, it proves very useful to have good relationships between these teams and to have these teams work together and and collaborate both to evolve the platform and also to help feature teams, which, which brings us. To that uh, socio-technical aspects of an organization and, and how to to structure teams in an organization in order for them to collaborate together, which is once we put aside all technology, maybe the most important thing that you can achieve in, a, in an organization.
2: Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? I mean, let's face it, the only way you're going to know that is by actually running it on production. So go figure it out, right? You run it on production, but you need something plugged in so that you can find out where those issues are, where it's slowing down, where it's having bugs. You just, you need something like that there. And Raygun is awesome at this. They, They just added the performance monitoring, which is really slick and it works like a breeze. I, I just, I love it. I love it. It's like, it's like you get the ray gun and you zap the bugs. It's anyway, definitely go check it out. It's going to save you a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of sanity. I mean, let, let's face it. grepping through logs is no fun and having people not able to tell you that it's too slow because they got sidetracked into Twitter is also not fun. So go check out Raygun. They are definitely going to help you out. There are thousands of customer-centric, customer-focused software companies who use Raygun every day to deliver great experiences for their customers. And if you go to Raygun and use our link, you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can go check that out at adventuresindevopspodcast.com slash Raygun.
3: You know, I'm curious, when you really delineate the platform team from the feature team, have you tried to have any kind of, you know, sort of rotation that people move off of one team and move on to the other team? And and certainly you can't do that. You you sort of have to have a team member stay on a team long enough to sort of develop that relationship and that, and probably even some skills and, you know, just just those abilities. But, you know, at, at some point, you know, let's say you're on a team for 18 months, just throwing a number out there, and you say, okay, after that period of time, you're gonna rotate off onto the other team and and just you know continue to build your skills and continue to sort of work collaboration, that sort of thing. I'm just curious if, if you've done something like that.
1: Uh yes, yes. It's it's a quite it's a quite common situation for people to to at, at certain point in time get they get enough of of a team, <laughs> let's say it like that. I wouldn't say of a people, but of, of a type of work and project. And and you said it well. At some point, you feel like you are stagnating, and you want to move to something else. You want to to to, to try something else. And it happens definitely. It's not it's not something that is it's not something that we prefer to do every day, because of course every every move across teams. Is something that uh, stirs a bit the team, and, and it moves it back to that storming phase. And now we have a new member of the team, and now this team member needs to fit in, and we need this team to get to the to the performing phase as fast as possible. But we do recognize these situations, and and of course it is possible. It, it's of course not not desirable for a team member to switch teams every I don't know couple of months. Because it, is some, it takes at least six months for people to, to you know, fit in and everything to, to, for the dust to settle down. But in our experience, anything, uh, the, the number that you said is pretty much correct <laughs> for us. 18 months, something between 18 months and, uh, and two years is something, a period of time when a new team member can settle in and, and bring additional value to the team. And figure out if this is something that they want to proceed further, or they maybe want to do some kind of lateral move to the to the other teams. And it happens quite commonly. So we do we do encourage it in terms of we do want for each and every person in a in company to find the best place for them in the organization. So I think that Tony Hish from from Zappo said it well when he said that he is actually the gardener in the organization so he, he his task is not to to you know uh, make everybody work better his task is to find the best position for everybody in the company as uh, something similar to a gardener that finds the best position for a plant in the garden for it to to grow successfully and i personally believe in this approach and i think there is a perfect or as close as perfect as it can get position for everybody in the company and these lateral moves across the teams is uh, is the best way to find that place otherwise sometimes people with a great talents are stuck somewhere and this talent is not used because they're working on something that is completely out of their area of interest and
0: yeah for the collaboration side of things do you find that you know you just Go through the traditional like product roadmap planning lifecycle and and have communications there, or is there a need for greater contact between the platform team and each one of the feature teams that are relying on it? And how do you encourage that communication?
1: Yeah, this communication is is extremely important for us. So, for example, we do have uh we do have weekly weekly synchronizations of the platform teams and of platform team. And we encourage future teams also to bring new ideas and and to, to, to speak about it. We also do facilitate once a month of public annunciations across the company about what the platform team is doing, what are the ideas for the future, future period. Uh, we are also collecting feedback, collecting new ideas to think about it. And uh, these are some of the mechanisms that we use to encourage this, this collaboration. I would say that the best concept that proved for us is the concept of a community of practice. And we, we try to keep a DevOps community of practice, which encompasses both the platform team and everybody involved in the software delivery process. And through this community of practice, we do try to, to share this knowledge and the ideas and to get that short feedback loop to see what we can do further with the platform. And these are all the mechanisms that proved well for us in, uh, in establishing this collaboration between the platform team and the feature team. So we, we definitely don't want to end up having platform team in an ivory tower prescribing how everything in the company should look like, especially uh, with them not being the one who are actually delivering uh, software to the end users. So it is something that is <laughs> not really natural. And uh, yeah, this is this is the alley we don't want to get into. So communities of practice strongly suggest. So it is something that, that helped us a lot. And uh, platform teams working with feature teams, asking a lot of questions about what could what can help them in their developer experience, but also talking to them to figure out what are the requirements and how the environment looks like at the customer's site because in the end this is a piece of software that will be run at the customer's site and we also do want to to make our environment as similar as possible to the to the customer's runtime environment sometimes this is not completely possible and we live with it and we we know it's it's not the same but we know where the differences are and we try to make them as, as smaller as possible. But sometimes it is quite possible to make the, the process, the de- deployment pipelines, and the runtime environment identical. And these are the situations that we, we want to recognize and make the most use of them. And the only way, of course, to, to figure that out is for these people to actually talk to each other. And and all these mechanisms of, of community of practice are actually aimed at let's open those channels let's let's talk people let's put on the table let's visualize how these environments look like it will be easier for all of us to to build a platform that
0: that helps all of us I love that idea of a community of practice especially when you're a part of or are working with these teams that are internally facing as you say like those, Those feature teams are your customers. But if you think about when you build a product, you have customer success teams and marketing teams and sales teams that are like, their job is to communicate what the product team has built and how to use it, how to leverage it effectively, why you should start transitioning your work to use this part of this new feature that was developed. And you lack that you're, you're in a position where, you know, with an internal team, you build something and then you're expected to be the salesperson. You're expected to be the marketing person. You're expected to be the support person to... To get everyone using that and make sure that they they do it right, so it's finding the the correct ways to collaborate as broadly as possible becomes so much harder, but so so much more necessary.
1: Yeah, yeah, Henry, that's well said. You you basically act like a, like a startup in your own company, and you have this piece of of a product that you are building. You are trying to market it to the other teams. You're trying to get the, as fast as feedback loop as possible in order to build it. In a direction that they need it. Those are pretty much all the same tactics that you would use if you had a product, external products. It's just that we are not accustomed to to apply all those tactics internally. We do it well externally, but we need to just make that mental switch and do all these things internally to build to build the uh, the platform that really brings value.
0: Yeah, certainly.
2: Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out.
0: Well, I know it's getting late for you. So each week uh, we go through and, and we, we make our picks of you know, uh, things, whether they be technical or non-technical, that, that we're passionate about or, or have just caught our eye and, and that we're enjoying. I guess I'll kick things off this week. Uh, one of the things that I've been playing around with a lot, you know, everyone, we're, we're in this remote world where we're doing everything over video conference these days. And especially I've been doing a lot of trainings and, and working with our customers. And so there's a, a platform. It's an open source software called OBS, and it's effectively, you know, designed for. Uh, I believe it's Open Broadcast System. I, I might be getting that wrong, but it's designed for both originally broadcasting, so you know, uh, building TV shows or, or, or public programming, but is now all the rage with people that are are doing live streams on various platforms and i've learned that there's tools through obs that you can connect it into your zoom conferences and the advantage to that is that all of these tools that have been built into the broadcasting system whether it be you know transitioning between multiple views doing picture in picture when you're uh, presenting something and also you know uh, filters and effects and and ways to improve your microphone all of these things that have been built in are then accessible to you to use in those presentations and those conferences and in your you know video conferences and It's been really fascinating. It's kind of changed the way that I've thought about things. You know, one small example is that the quality that something like Zoom or Skype does when you do a screen share, they specifically do it at a much lower frame rate and and a lower quality to, to send that over the wire as efficiently as possible. But when you make that your video feed, you can really get a much better visual presentation of that content. And it just, you know, follows the same channel that your video was going through before. So that's that's one of the things I've been dabbling with and, and definitely look to bring into more of my presentations going forward. I definitely recommend checking out OBS and, and some of its uh, virtual camera connectors. I think
1: that is great, especially because it is something that I also uh, noticed. When, for example, when you're doing video interviews over Zoom, the quality of the video is, is a terrible, (laughs) at least I did manage to find some hacks, how to make it better and maybe to share with people. If somebody doesn't know it already. So it, it helps a lot if you, when you start recording, if you share your screen with a, with a large resolution and then zoom recognizes this large resolution and makes the whole video in this larger resolution. So it is something people that can help you record videos in a resolution larger than uh, 640, <laughs> if you... if you, <laughs> <do>. <laughs> I didn't discover this. Uh, I found it somewhere on Reddit or, yeah. or whatever. But it is a great, great hack to, to make the most out of Zoom. But uh, what you said about OBS, I'm really looking forward to it. I personally yeah. installed it, tried it a couple of times, had some troubles with, with external cameras. I think it's probably uh, the problem in me, not in the software itself. <laughs> and it's something definitely that I will I will take into consideration personally, because all these features and scenes and switching and transitions, it is something that it looks really nice and, and effective.
0: Yeah, we're we're in a world where so many people have been able to transition their work to being, you know, a, a personality or you know, integrating video, whether it be through YouTube or live streams or, or whatever that might be. And so there's some really amazing content out there oriented towards people in those professions or, or seeking to to start professions there. And those learnings can transfer very easily to this new remote work world where you're, you're doing business presentations rather than sharing your video games. So uh, it's been been really fascinating. I guess uh, for, for picks, let's hand over. Uh, Jeff, what do you have for us today?
3: Yeah. So I was uh, sort of in my mind when I think of what would be a good pick. And, and then when you start talking about OBS, I thought, you know what, I'm going to sort of look at the maybe the, the flip. Flip side of that, I've been looking at a um, a product and a technology called Learnistic, and they're very focused on the mobile device first and foremost. So it's it's a way to sort of build out, you know, whatever your learning content is, and basically push it out to people's mobile devices. And one of the things that they're so focused on mobile is because they're saying, like, you know, just the numbers, people are tending to spend much more time. Um looking at a mobile device, than they are you know looking at a traditional you know laptop or computer or desktop or whatever it is. So that's sort of interesting and, and what learnistic enables you to do is is you know have those training and content, but be asynchronous with your audience, right? So you record it however you want to do that, and you are sort of uploading it and, and then you know they're taking care of all that stuff for you on the back end of how it gets you know, encoded and, you know, streamed and all that to people's mobile devices. But it's, uh, but, it, but you know, it's all sort of built into this. Um, and what's sort of cool about what they're doing is they're building it as a sort of a mobile first platform. So, you know, the way that most people are sort of, you know, getting into, if you're doing that today, you're probably getting people to sort of sign up for a class or, or something like that. And they're doing it like they're signing up with our like their email address. And then it's like, okay, from your email address, I gotta get you into my mobile app and blah, blah, blah. And Learnistic is very mobile f- uh, first and saying, okay, just give me your, you know, forget your email address, we'll get that later. What you can do is collect people's mobile phone numbers. And then the app just goes right to there. And like it's, you know, it's like you just saved that person three or four steps of getting the email and confirming it and Blow whatever else you're, you're doing, you know, with that information uh, before they actually get your content. So, it's a really interesting platform. I, I think it's a bit ahead of you know where I see it, everybody else at this point. And 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 it's just it's a and it's a very sleek interface, very easy for you to sort of, you know, take your recordings or and it could be PDFs or you know other forms of content as well, and just sort of getting it up there and building out you know something that's pretty quick to do and getting it in front of your audience again in a sort of an asynchronous way so that hey if they're just getting out and walking the dog or whatever you know they can be watching uh you know watching your content and learning something
0: yeah that's fascinating especially that like that pick up and play nature of it where you can just be on right. your phone have a few minutes learn something yeah yeah exactly
1: yeah i i'm a huge fan of audible and uh, I, yeah i do Run a lot, and and these these running sessions allow me to have I don't know forty five minutes of of listening time, but on Audible what you get is is what there is in an Audible ca- catalog, and these platforms like these could actually help other people also bring content to the to the wider masses. So it is something that could help I don't know various other niche players to actually deliver their content also to to this audience that is actually now pretty much using either Audible or Blinkist or something like that. So I like that a lot. Yeah. Awesome.
0: And Ivan, uh, do you have any picks for us for t- today? My area of interest is, is,
1: is, as you said, also, Henry, pretty much oriented toward this new way of working and online. And uh, what we do recently is uh, what we did. In that pre-COVID time, is a lot of consulting with with our customers, and these were all sessions that were happening uh, on site uh, together, uh, whiteboard, markers, and so on. And we are uh, moving toward online world. And so far, the the best setup for us that worked in these situations proved to be Zoom and Mural. And uh, I'm I'm still not sure if this is the the best. Setup that is out there in the world, and still trying to find uh, to actually research if there is something better than that. So far, I, I haven't found it. Maybe we'll stick with with Zoom and Mural, but it seems like so far the best combina- combination that we found so far for delivering these kind of uh, facilitated sessions with our clients. Yeah, in uh, hoping to find something else, better, I think that we will stick. With this so far?
0: Yeah, the the whiteboard component has been the hardest for me because I think you know we we have so many great collaboration tools in in product management and software development. You know, you have your version control, you have your you know, Slack and email and Zoom for video conferencing, but it's that Kind of creative collaboration where you you know you're used to just getting a bunch of people in a room and talking out a problem over the course of hours that it, it's hard to mind map and keep track of all of that using a notepad so solving that problem makes such a big difference
1: it's super tough the other day we had this brainstorming session about a solution that we should deliver and there were i think five or six of us on the call and uh, okay so exactly what you said if these were some old times you would probably stand up go to the whiteboard and draw something it isn't quite possible now so what i did is pulled out my ipad share the screen and then drew on the on the ipad but it is better but again i cannot give my pencil to somebody else and uh, okay (laughs) please to draw your idea and uh, somebody else needs to, to instruct me how to draw it. And there is a lot of friction in this process and it doesn't work really fluid. And uh, yeah, it is better, but it's not even close to, to what we have with a whiteboard, the real one.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I even I mean, I have a whiteboard in my office. And one of the problems that I run into is that a webcam that reflects so much light that people can't see me draw on it. So I actually recently made the transition to using a chalkboard instead. So I've got all these like stubby bits of chalk and chalkboard dust that I'm dealing with all the time.
1: So. Yeah, it, it is hard. We, we even had a uh in spring we had a situation where precisely at the point where covid happened and we we all in the company moved uh, to to home office we have we had a new team forming so what do you do when you have a team full of juniors that is about to onboard on a specific technology which is not maybe the, the most mainstream technology <laughs> that you can find and and how to onboard these people and it was yeah all the kudos and congrats to to the people that did it they they did it perfectly both for the mentors and mentees but it was some strange combination of uh, zoom team viewer phone screenshots mail slack whatever so i think that somebody who who efficiently solves this problem i think that he will be very much appreciated in in this covid world
0: for sure well, this has been a really great conversation. Ivan really enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank
1: you guys. I had a really nice time, really nice topics. And, uh, you really, these picks were great, especially for OBS. I, I, I know I need to, to give it another shot. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um. And, uh, and this whole conversation about platform team, there really is something. In, in this concept and this this idea of splitting the cognitive load and people if you are in a position to read team topologies by by, by matthew and Manuel please do so it, it is really useful it, it gives a whole another perspective on the, on the way we organize ourselves in teams in an organization awesome thank you so much Yvonne it's a great
0: conversation thank you guys. And thank you, Jeff. And, and thank you all for listening. And catch us again next week on Adventures in DevOps. Have a great day.
2: Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot to learn more.